This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to The Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. This is our post-stage six of the Tour de Ski wrap-up. Today's stage was a 10K and 15K Mass Start Classic race from Val di Fiemme, Italy, which saw U.S. skier Jesse Diggins retain the overall tour lead. And on the men's side, we had a career best performance again from Gus Schumacher, who is 20 years old and hails from Anchorage, Alaska. He placed eighth on the stage. And lastly, we have a new voice in today's podcast. You will hear from Zach Caldwell, who owns Caldwell Sport in Putney, Vermont. Caldwell brings a perspective to the podcast today, having had experience waxing skis at this venue, as well as coaching longtime standout on the men's side for the U.S. ski team, Chris Freeman. Also, he was the coach of Noah Hoffman and Tad Elliott. Okay, thanks for listening and on to the show. I think it would be good just to kind of put this out there. One is, you know, Zach, to give us a little bit of historical context for U.S. men's skiing. And you've been heavily involved with U.S. men's skiing for some time, you know, primarily through Chris Freeman, um, Noah Hoffman. Um, oh, my gosh, I'm uh, Tad Elliott. And, and Devin, obviously, people know you and you've skied this course a bunch. Um yeah, and I also want to throw this out there too is, you know, feel free. This is a great opportunity to kind of dive deep in terms of waxing for this particular venue and what may make it, you know, somewhat tricky. Um, you know, just to add this last piece in there, I talked to Matt Wickham a little bit earlier. It sounded like they were on a clister. Um, you know, I'm just a sort of layperson. I just assumed listening to the snow and seeing to the shade, I was like, oh, they must be on a, on a fur, you know, a traditional hard wax today. But I think it's, Zach can talk a little bit more about that, but I mean, in Val de Fiem, because of uh, just the fact that the snow is usually like so dead and like uh, it's been cold overnight, but it ends up being really hard. It doesn't, it hasn't been getting that warm in Val de Fiem. They're lucky. I, I mean, I think the conditions in Val de Fiem it's not, I mean, back in the days, back in my days, it was often like the conditions we saw today, but, uh, last five, six years, I mean, we've had some heinous days in Val de Fiem, like really heinous. And, uh, I thought today was like super stable conditions. I don't know what Zach saw, but that's what it looked like to me. Oh, today was a gift. It was a total gift. Cause yeah, it was Val de Fiem can either be hard, which it was today, or it can be hell. And, oh, and it can be really hellish, yeah. Yeah, it was it was just stable, hard, but there's no such thing as hard wax skiing in Val de Fiem unless you get on the Marcialonga Trail on a really nice day because it's just a nice, easy grade. It's like the really the only place on the venue that you can go for an easy ski. But uh, oh. the the courses there are so brutal, and the snow, like Devin said, is so dead, is so worked over tilled up they rely on a lot of man-made and saved snow and i guess not saved but man-made i mean that marcelonga wouldn't happen if it weren't for moving snow and that venue even when there's natural snow it just it's a little like canmore maybe in that even cold stable natural conditions it just it's uh it's going to be brutally hard and aggressive snow for sure so it, it is uh, it, it shears is the best way i would describe it so like you can get out there on like some, I don't know, let's say like roadie super extra on a cold day and, and you'll have like two and a half K of the best ski in your life. And then there'll be like nothing left. So right. without it, without a clister binder, 
uh, it'll just shear right off the ski. Uh, so, but that said, that said, and like Zach alluded to, like, man, I have had great skis in Val de Fiemme and, and had great races in Val de Fiemme in classic. And then I've also had like skis that are just like the skis nightmares are made of. <laughs> it's just like, like I, nothing I can do is making them work. Like I have no kick, but it's also kind of dirty and warm and just like, it's just a heinous situation. So I think today they, everyone in the field were given a gift and then it was really a tale of two races. Like it's been the entire tour to ski. At least that's what I saw. I mean, I mean, the men's race is, we're going to get all stoked about Schumacher's top 10 because that is an amazing result from a first year senior. We'll, we'll, we'll pop the champagne and we'll get fired up about it. But before we do that, that this men's tour to ski is a forgettable event and I just can't wait for it to end. I don't know. It just, I see, I see nothing other than the great technical skiing by a number of athletes. There's no real storyline I'm following that is at all exciting. It just, I don't know, man, like without, without the Norwegians, when it's a two, when it's a two horse race, like men's skiing is these days, I find myself like, I'm, I'm kind of checked out with the men's tour to ski really. And I mean, I'm following it, of course, and watching and, and stuff and chatting with some people, but it just doesn't hold my interest. When the, the women's race, man, like the women's race is so exciting. And I was looking forward to this day hugely. I don't know about you guys, but like because Val de Fiemme can be so punishing, it's really difficult. It's a championship course. And I define, you, everyone knows skiing enough that like usually in championship courses, they're pretty, they're pretty punishing. And Val de Fiemme is definitely that. And also because the, the U.S. women have struggled in Val de Fiemme in this, in this mass start classic before. And this was like the hurdle Jesse needed to get over. And, oh, and Rosie. Sure. And Rosie. And, and the problem, I was, I was surprised and really saddened to see that, like, Rosie just had a rough day. And you just don't want to have a rough day in Val de Fiemme. And you see what happens when you do. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's punishing, man. And just actually, can you intro yourself, Zach? What do you do? Some people probably obviously know who you are. Uh, I run a ski shop. Well, my, my wife runs a ski shop. And I work for her. But I, uh, How's that going? It's pretty good. We work together really well. Uh, All right, that's so good. It's, it's great. It, uh, um, it's, yeah, yeah. Ski racing has kind of been been hobbled by COVID, but we just bought the local bike and ski shop this year, so we're we're in like the the tour ski business for the first time, and and that's keeping us alive. Good. Um, well, yeah. From your perspective, you know, just thinking about discreetly the men's racing and and the female and the women's racing. Um, is, is the men's side like compelling from you, uh, beyond obviously, you know, you have a keen interest in, in the men's side of the field and watching, um, you know, how, how Gus is evolving or progressing. Uh, Gus is the only reason I'm watching the men's racing at this point that the sport has basically folded up on itself on the men's side. There's nothing to watch is it for several years already. It's been boring. It's a little better when the Norwegians are there, but you know, unless you're just a huge fan of Norway or a huge fan of Russia or a huge fan of two Titans battling each other, no one else is even showing up and it sucks. It's, and, and the, the formats are terrible. This, the tortoise ski format is awful. Just, just it's, it's such bad skiing for production when you got one person who can be that far off the front, there's nothing to watch. It's uh, yeah. When, <laughs> when they ran the, 
the uh, Pursuit start in Val Mustaire. I, I turned it on and Amy was there. And the first thing I said is, I wonder how often the FIS people look at this and, and shake their heads and say, boy, did we screw that up? Because um, that's just, it's boring. It sucks. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, if you know, if you're focused in on American skiing, the women's side has been a little more lively. Well, and the racing is shockingly competitive. I mean, it's, it's really, you know, multiple nations and people with different venue strengths. And you knew today was going to be a catastrophe for the Americans because it always is in Val de Fiemme for reasons we can discuss, I think. But like, man, if you had offered me Jesse's performance today ahead of it, I'd have taken it, no doubt. I mean, she dodged a bullet there. That was a great performance under the circumstances. And man, she should be happy, like thrilled with that. That's, that's great. But Hennig, I mean, who, who didn't see that coming? She's been so good at that venue. And um, I just, you know, it's, it's women's skiing is pretty exciting right now. Well, let me let me get you to flesh out a little bit like the proverbial like, you know, Jesse dodged a bullet and get your sort of more thorough answer to that and then get Devin to comment on on your statement if that if that works. Yeah, sure. I'm um, the US team is weak in classic and has been for a long time and we've got great classic skiers, but we don't have a good classic culture in the team. And I'm not talking about just the US team or the US waxing team, but nationally we don't have a, a sufficiently nuanced and developed understanding of the way classic skiing works here's the thing you know you talk about waxers and hitting the wax and not hitting the wax oleg who's the head waxer he doesn't miss the wax he's a great wax guy he's fantastic with material but when you're preparing skis for a race you're waxing wax you're waxing skis you're waxing a course and you're waxing a skier they pick the wax really, really well, but they are weak. I mean, really, really weak on the other parts of that equation. Again, getting the whole picture right about waxing the right ski for the skier on the course. They read the courses poorly as a team. They don't discuss the solutions in a holistic enough way to get everyone on good skis on the day. So even when they nail it, they only nail it for a few skiers. And I think you could see like Jesse had the tools she needed today to, to sort of, you know, prevent too much blood loss and Rosie really didn't. And, you know, the problem is those two, they're not great classic skiers. They're great athletes. They're the most tenacious athletes and competitive racers on the circuit. They are so tough, but they're not very good classic skiers. And, when you get on a course as hard as Val de Fiemme with just the repeated insults of those hills, which are at a grade that like, I can't make it up without resting. It's so difficult to go and, and even just be a wax tech at that venue. It's brutal. I mean, Devin won't say so because he's an elite athlete and he could probably still fake it up those hills, but like, come on, there's enough water under the bridge for me. That, that's an unpleasant place to be and, and try to, you know, try to make good skis let alone ski race. And so the, the window for faking it kind of gets small. You saw in toe block, um, you, you put those girls on decent skis and stable conditions and they're tough. They're tough enough to like lose a little and claw back, but man, you can only do that so many times. And, and I think we saw that today. I was, I was really impressed with Jesse's ability to limit her losses under those circumstances. A lot to unpack there, uh, Devin, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I love how, like, Zach, you're such a curmudgeon. 
It's awesome. <laughs> it makes for, <laughs> I was thought sure, it was kind of It makes for some great listening. It's not often I'm so quiet. Usually I'm just like such a dick and interrupting all the time. So but that was fun. No, but uh, what, I'll, what I'll unpack about that is like, listen, the way I agree with what Zach said about Jesse's skiing today, Jesse had a great day today. And what was amazing to watch about Jesse today for me was like, again, I thought she was skiing pretty well. I mean, I've talked a bit on the past before, like there's different Jessies that show up in Klatsk every once in a while, but in this tour to ski, technically speaking, she's, she's at a, like a really solid level. And then going around for that last lap, it's like a switch went off and I'm like, Oh no, Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Jesse started getting like pretty tired, a little less stable in her hips and just like, yeah, I just, her techniques, she started getting tired and like her techniques started to fall apart a little bit, but man, how she hung on, how she hung on there and, and how she put together the race that she put together, it just made for really compelling, a really compelling event. And the reality is there's a class, all that stands between Jesse and the Tour de Ski win is cause she's tough, man. Like there is nobody tougher in women's skiing than Jesse Diggins. Ah, Teresa. Teresa is just as tough. Teresa is crazy tough too. But other than that, like, I'm not just talking about how fast they are. I'm just talking about how like gritty they are. So Jesse and Teresa are the greatest athletes on the women's field. And the fact that she has a classic sprint, she's a classic sprint away. And we've seen how good she can classic sprint when she's on form, when she's in shape. I mean, Jesse can classic sprint with the best of them. And that's all that's standing between her and literally winning the tour to ski and then winning the tour to ski. Like I talked about the other day, that sets quite the little stage for, for the big prize. And I'm sorry to say, but in the distance races at world championships, barring some catastrophe, Therese Johag's going to walk away with three gold. And, but the overall world cup is something to be proud of no matter who shows up for the year. And yeah, I, I just can't say enough good things about Jesse today. I thought it was an awesome performance. Rosie, I'm going to push back on Zach a little bit. She definitely technically, she's not like, she's not Sadie Bjornsson out there in her classic skiing. That's for sure. But I don't, I don't see, I don't see Rosie as like that bad a classic skier, but I felt really bad for her today that she just, you know what, man, some days you got an off day. And when you have an off day in stable conditions in Val de Fiemme and you lose two minutes and your overall hopes go up in smoke like that with only a couple stages to go, oh, my heart broke. My heart really broke for Rosie today. But like the women in the U.S. have really like built a solid base right now. And that's what's making it exciting. And I think there's a lot of young, good women that are behind the real superstars of American skiing for the women's side that that are gaining a lot of experience. And you see that, I mean, you can't really compare it to like the Norwegian team, which just has a, a plethora, like every generation comes up with these superstars. But I look, at, and this is going to be funny because like in Alpine, you know, everybody thinks that the Norwegian Alpine team is like this big, crazy, beastly program. And it's not, man, it is not. But what they do do well is this mentorship, this idea of mentorship. So, like, really old people will know who, like, Shus and Amat are, who won tons of world championship medals and Olympic gold medals and stuff. And they really mentored the likes of, like, Axel Lindsvindal, who is, if you don't know who Axel Lindsvindal is, then you don't follow Alpine whatsoever. <laughs> and he, in turn, mentored the next generation of speed skiers that you're seeing now, like um, Shedel Jansrud or, like, Kilda, who Kilda won the overall World Cup last year in Alpine. And there's this mentorship, this like pipeline that keeps happening. And I think the U.S. women 
have been able to do that. And it's, it's exciting. And, and after the likes of Jesse, Sophie, Sadie, um, Rosie, when they retire, like it's still going to be exciting in the U.S. skiing because there's enough filling the gaps back there. So I think that's cool. A few more things in the women's race. I'd like to get Zach's perspective. I've heard a lot of stuff about Eva Anderson. Like, you know, like, oh, Eva, like she's so up and down. And now we see how consistent she is. You know what the common denominator is there? I've talked to some people in Sweden about it. Altitude, she wasn't ready. She wasn't ready for Val Mister. She showed up for Val Mister, unacclimatized, not ready whatsoever, hadn't raced in a while like we talked about, but she just wasn't ready to tackle the challenge of the altitude, got the doors blown off her, and then now she's on the podium like every time. It's too little too late for the overall. No, it's not too little too late. She's the odds on favorite to win this thing. No way. Tomorrow she's going to lose a minute. No question. If Jesse can get herself in the final, Jesse needs a minute on her tomorrow. Uh, I don't want a minute, but she needs to get to the semis. Jesse needs to get to the semis, or we have a hell of a race. I think Jesse. I think Jesse needs the final. Uh, but I, I think she'll get it too so because it's a downhill sprint. Yeah. Yeah, and she, no one descends better. We talked about that. I know you agree with me, Zach. Like nobody descends better than Jesse in the women's no. field, and Val Fiam is a great finish for. Her. Yeah, so no, no, no. She's, but, she, but, she'll be in the final unless something goes terribly wrong. Jesse will be in the final tomorrow. She's she's skiing great. She's got great energy. She's in great shape, and they know how to make skis to get her over that last hump and into the finish straight with speed. She'll be yeah. good. So the question is, yeah. can Eba win the tour tomorrow by making a semi? And yeah, Eba won't make the heats. Eba just won't make the heats tomorrow. There's no way in hell. Like she can't sprint her way out of a paper bag. No, no, dude, she can't do it. <laughs> so it, it's not gonna happen. And um, so it's a really great opportunity for Jesse. And you know what else would be kind of fun? Even though the overall hopes of the podium are gone, it'd be sweet to see a little bit of a bounce back moment from Rosie and shake off the tough race today and, and get herself back into the semis at least, let's say, to give her a good chance to finish in like the top five in the Tour de Ski. After the tour she's put together, I mean, she's she deserves it. She's had a great tour so far and one bad race is just, ah, oh, sucks that the podium in the Tour de Ski just get evaporates like that but she could still salvage something in the overall and even if she doesn't who cares she's had such a season and she will continue to have such a good season you're allowed to have bad races once in a while it's just for the fans at home of course it's tough and for her herself of course so hey zach just to clarify here so i think and it's been a bit since i've looked at these overall standings i think diggins has does she have 55 seconds um on second place right now is that right I'm afraid to pull anything up on my computer because I don't want to drop the call. <laughs> I'm I'm doing it now, so if I drop you, I apologize. I didn't look. I didn't look today. I I, uh, I assume I assume it's down to less than that. If it's 55, then she's pretty safe. I think it's. Oh, she's so gritty. She's so gritty, guys. And like I I was just thinking like early in the tour when Frida was looking good and and she's so light and so good on climbs. We saw that in Home and Colon last year. We've seen that with all like the reporting. I mean, like the Swedish media follows Frida Carlson's career, like uh, Canadian media follows uh, Connor McDavid or an NHL hockey superstar. Like they follow it really closely. And Frida up that hill with the like with that motivation to do something in the overall would be hard to beat. And that's why I said Jesse needed a minute. But we saw it today in one of her best races on one of her best courses. I mean. Frida Carlson's racing back with Lynn Svahn, who, yes, I know she's had some great distance races. I mean, she won the distance race this year, but, like, there is no reason. Like, Frida, Frida's form has fallen completely off. For Frida Carlson to finish 11th in a 10K Classic, 
and she's complaining about her her glutes and stuff after her fall from uh, her her uh, preparations to tackle El Cap with uh, <laughs> door frame chin ups. But uh, that's that that said, no matter what, I mean. Frida Carlson should be better than 11th in a 10K classic on a steep course in stable conditions. So that was, uh, I'm shocked that Frida is not in the, uh, not in the mix here, but Eva, man, it, it, the sprints are just, it, it costs too much and, and the Americans are too good in sprints. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not popping the champagne, but I mean, I, if you're an American ski fan, you should have champagne on ice uh, for Sunday because no, you're right. Again, it's 55 like, seconds to stoop at. Yeah, it's over. But- it's but Eb is a minute yeah. 45. There's no coming back. Yeah, You're right. It's over. Yeah, no, it's over. So Jesse, barring a complete meltdown on the climb, which he won't have, because like I said, no one's tougher than Jesse. Like, that's the thing. Like, this final climb is a joke. It's not a joke because it's actually, I love to hate it. Like, I hated competing on it because it's not skiing. I hate watching it on TV in most instances because it makes everyone look like a bunch of two-bit hacks up the climb. But like, Jesse can go so deep, man. And like, that's kind of what you need on this thing. And I think it's over. I'm not calling it yet. Cause you still got to get through the sprint. You still got to stay healthy. I mean, we haven't talked about the little COVID scare with Lynn Spawn, but um, uh, I can just touch on that quickly. She got a PCR test that was positive. Everyone was freaking out. Then she did another test. Oh, antigen test. Okay. She did the antigen test and was, positive and then her pcr came back negative is that right yeah so so she was allowed to race and she raced great today again uh she was 12th or 13th anyway she was right behind frida carlson um which is crazy on a course like that so she's in good shape and all healthy but anyway the women's tour in the overall is looking really good for an american victory and that would be another historic moment for jesse diggins in the u.s squad for the women so that's fun i think we got to spend some time with the men now too even as boring as it is, it was a big day for, for Gus because he's the first year senior. If Gus was like 30, 30 years old and he was nine on a race like that, I would have been like, I'm sorry, I don't care. Because we saw how it was raced. We all saw how it was raced. No one wanted to take any risks. Everyone skied together in like a zone two group. And then there was a sprint to the finish. But Gus is a first year senior and I thought he showed a lot of poise. And to finish top 10, finish ninth like that, like he's taken some knocks already this year and he showed a lot of resilience and coming away from the tour to ski. Also, he's looking not that bad for the overall either. And uh, who cares about that though? Because like a top 10 individual race is, is great. Even though the race played in played it, the race was played like so, so lamely, but anyway, you know, we can't control that. Yeah. Um, Zach, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. And also, obviously, you know, within the context of U.S. men's skiing, you know, outside of Bill Koch, I think a lot of folks would consider Chris Freeman, who was a contemporary of Devin as well, um, as, as, you know, a, a force for men's skiing. And we haven't seen something like this, you know, very consistent results, um, you know, top 15s, three top 15s in a row, a top 10 today. And he's 20, right? We're not talking about a seasoned veteran here. This is his first season on the World Cup. So, yeah, your thoughts and maybe, you know, adding in a little bit of your perspective on having coached some of, you know, having coached Chris Freeman in particular. Yeah, I mean, I think Devin's point is well taken that that was a sucky race. And we all know that the, you know, the point we haven't touched on yet today, but we have to touch on every time is that Norway is not there. 
and they, you know, that, that would have animated this race in an entirely different way. And you would have seen like dying skiers all over the hills of Val de Fiemme. But as it was, it, you know, hung on to a pretty big pack there for most of it. Here's what impressed me with Gus. We got to back up a second and discuss this course. And keep in mind, this is the easiest course Val de Fiemme can put together. But yeah, the true. hills, the hills on this course, you got the big climb up out of the stadium under the bridge. And that enough that that there is is enough that like you need to be right on your skis and then you got a, an insulting little double pole downhill and a sweeping corner and then you got the sprint climb for the guys which is kind That's of a beast. replay at the first climb it's a beast it sucks it's a little steeper than the first one and yeah, it just it and then it and then it grinds away to that sprint point like it, it just oh, takes yeah. off and there's no rest now you're like double pole kick double pole and the easy part of the course that they put in there is this grinding climb through a meadow up to a final insult to the next time check, which is like a, just a scramble in late in the race. Once you start, you know, losing the timing on your kick and then it's a raging fast downhill, nothing but tuck until you get down to that silly lollipop down at stadium level. And then you got to do that, that hillside again. And that's the hardest one out there. That last, that last one before the descent into the stadium, every one of those three big hills, is brutal. And the only recovery you get is before the very last one. And so the course is just like, it's not like Lillehammer where it's this four minute climb of skiable skiing. And it's just, it's characterized by this massive elevation change, this continuous work, and it's hard skiing the whole time. But I can show up in Lillehammer on my skis and ski up that hill. And like a couple quick, you know, herringbone steps near the top on that last little slope, but it's all, it's all skiing. I can't ski these climbs at Val de Fiemme on a day like today with perfect conditions, hard tracks. I still have to like lean on my poles part way up because it's too muscular. It's too hard. Like I can't follow Sophie around the sprint course. And that was in 2013. It's just too brutal. And now I'm older. No, I, it is, it is super, it is super brutal. I agree with you. And, and the grades are just so that like a professional athlete in good shape, like Bolshinov, let's say, he can, he can keep a high hip position and yes. keep his center of mass over the kick zone. High hip position, uh, good like uh, – how do I say that in English now? Uh, I'm not used to saying that in English. But like driving with his knee, I guess you could say, while yeah, having yeah. a high hip position. And then like really keeping his body weight like tight and over the poles. Bolshinov can do that, but you're absolutely right. Like going level one in Val de Fiemme, you're just walking up the hills, like you're hearing, yeah. you're hearing moaning. Cause you can't, you can't, you can't diagonal stride in level one up those hills. You can't. So here's so what we got to say about Gus. Punishing, of course. Yeah. It's punishing. Yeah. So as easy as that race was and it, and it was easy enough so that, uh, in the lap prior to the time bonus, who was, who was off the front of that thing? Who was driving the pace there? Devin, remember? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's ridiculous, but it's the two young like, kids. It was poor yeah, exactly. Lapalus, right? Yeah, it's the I know, guys I know. That Gus is racing the for the top U23. Exactly. And the funny thing about that too, and I wanted to touch on that, was like poor Amai have sung his praises. He's been good. He had a tough he had a tough finish today, but he's been he's had a great tour for a twenty year old with like not that much pedigree as a junior like Gus has. But Lapalus, man, Lapalus like the guy is not he is not the pillar of classic skiing, I'll tell you that right now. No, he's not. Like Lapalus is not the pillar. So I'm glad you brought this up because I thought it was hilarious when I watched like Porama. I mean, he's 20 though, like you said. But like, I like, he's great. He's gritty too. Like he, he he's tough. But like when I see Lapalus up there, I'm just like, 
oh my God, turn this off. Stop this. This is just like, this is ridiculous. So, but, but yeah. Then, so here's the thing. The racing got kind of serious after that. So you've got, you've got a couple of young guys who are like, Hey, we can do this and we're going to, you know, let's, let's, let's go for this. And Gus didn't bite. He was pretty far back in the pack at that point. And I was like, man, maybe he's hurting, you know, like maybe I wouldn't mind seeing him puppy dog it just a little bit as a young guy. And then, and then as it started to turn up and it did start to turn up, you know, it went single oh, yeah. file. Oh, yeah, it got hard. Yeah. And those oh, last yeah. two laps, it was tough. And what was Gus doing? Just taking places the whole time. Yeah, he was picking exactly. up spots. Part of the race got the more ambitious he got. And he put his nose in the front of that race. And that's, yeah, and that's so, that's so they, this it. is what makes it a, a program defining performance. That was a better ski race than we've seen out of an American male since, I don't know. That's, that was a, I think that was a better individual performance. I talked to him earlier today. Chris is going to get mad at me, but I think Chris was kind of lame not to take a medal in 2009 when he had that ride. Cause he could have, he could have pushed that a little bit instead of just following Bauer, that was fourth place at a world championships, but fourth place on a day when like the field was just about as weakened as it was here because the Norwegians were on wax instead of, instead of rub skis. And he had great skis and he had a great ride and he was in great shape and he got fourth. Well, here we are. It's even ground and Gus is moving up through that race and skiing ambitiously. That was at least as good as Chris's performance in, in, uh, in 2009. I think you got to go back to one of you know, one of Chris's performances in Cusimo or in oh, yeah. uh, 2003 at Valdefiem to, to find yeah. as good and as strong and as, as strong a statement of, of strength, fitness, technique, and racing head. Yeah, and I, I want to harp, or not harp, but I want to like, I, I don't know if I can go as far as you, Zach, but I mean, you coach, you coach Chris, so that's okay. But I mean, I, I found those performances you named him, Chris, were pretty freaking, and I guess I'm, I'm biased at the individual start because like, man, individual start skiing in like a chill mass start race is a bit of a different game. But, but what I will say is the racing head part, this is what gives me so much excitement. Like I keep using Jaeger as an example in the relay, like just being tough like that uh, in the world juniors. But Gus, the racing head to win world juniors when you're a favorite, you did it. And then, like you said today, you do not see many first year seniors have the patience that Zach's describing to know that like, this is a hard course. This is a punishing course. When, when this, like, this will probably end this kind of like joke of a pace that we were all watching. It'll probably end. And, and Gus didn't take the bait. Like Zach said, he was patient and you just, yeah, you don't see many young athletes stay patient. You know, you just don't. I, hell, I wasn't patient as an older senior. So, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, probably like one of the best days of my career was uh, for my body was probably like in 2012 in a 50K in Holmenkollen where I was just like acting like an idiot getting all these bonus points. I think I was like first, I was top three in all the bonuses in Holmenkollen every single lap and guess what happened i got like a k and a half from the finish or a k to the finish my, my arms and my body cramped up to hell and i i limped in for 10th like four seconds off or six seconds off the win when had i had a little more patience and a little more like self-belief which i lacked my whole career like i'm contending for the win there i mean it's like it was like one of the best bodies i had and i think that's what zach's saying about chris too is like some of us like chris at times or me we didn't have the confidence to just like do the plan like follow the plan 
perfectly and, and, and be inventive enough to use the bodies we have. And Zach and sorry, and uh, Gus did that today. And dude, top 10, the race was lame. Like you said, Zach, the reality is not take anything away from Zach. You can only beat, you can, sorry, not take anything away from Gus because you can only beat the guys that show up. But the fact of the matter is, had the Norwegians been there, Gus is top 15, which is still a great race. But yeah. the race could have played out. 11 seconds out of Bolshinov on a, on a distance classic race. Yeah, exactly. That's so top gonna, 15. be a great race. Yeah, for sure. You're going to be, a, it's going to be a great race no matter what, because he, he showed a lot of the poise, but but as Zach alluded to with the Norwegians there, then it becomes that clash of the Titans, the shootout and Bolshinov is, isn't going to just sit in the pack knowing like all these guys are mopes. I'm going to win this no matter what. So whatever, I'll, I'll pick a nice little comfort cruise for four laps because if it's Paul Goldberg driving the pace, all those guys are dangerous on the Norwegian team in classic. You know what I mean? If it's Emily Everson or, or Playboy wouldn't drive the bus, but still like there's a lot of guys or, or Holland or whoever, driving that bus, Bolshinov's not going to be as passive as he was today. So, but that said, no matter what, awesome day for Gus. Sad times for men's skiing right now without Norway there, but Norway's going to be back after the tour to ski. And, and while I disagree with Zach a little bit because I'm just such a fan <laughs> uh, that, that it's like a total disaster in men's skiing, that at least there is a class of the Titans when Norway's there. You know what I mean? At least there's something to look forward to. <laughs> So I, I'm curious because this came up in conversation with Gus today and, and Matt Wickham, just the whole idea of patience and believing in oneself. You know, I am kind of curious from a coaching perspective and Zach and an athlete perspective in, in Devon, you know, you were talking about a lot of junior skiers, obviously, that make it up to the World Cup that killed it, right? They never really had to show much patience because they were gifted, whatever, at an early age. They trained better, better DNA, who knows? But patience hasn't necessarily had to have been, wasn't a necessary condition of success. Whereas, you know, if you're, you're not a freakish athlete like a Claybo or a Bolshinov, you have to be patient. Um, is that, how, is that culture, how is that coachable, Zach? And Devin, uh, how is that learned if you're kind of a hard-headed, I'm not saying you're a hard-headed athlete, but if you are a hard-headed athlete, like, how many times do you have to learn that lesson to sort of notch it back a little bit? I think you're talking about two different kinds of patience here, Jason. You're, what we're talking about with Gus is the patience to sit in in a race and to be confident enough to allow, exactly. allow that pack to do what, you know, to dick around and do what it's going to do for the first half of the race. And, and the confidence to know that he's going to move through the field when it gets hard and not to ski exactly. defensively in the front. You know, no, that you, is what I'm talking about. And, and like, that can be hard. When you're weak, you go to the front and you ski defensively. When you're strong, you ski wherever you want. And that's what Gus did today. He put himself where he wanted to be. He, was, he, he had the confidence to sit in and, and just let that race unfold. And, and he didn't get sucked into chasing bonus seconds, which would have, you know, like we saw with a couple other talented young guys that it didn't help him too much. Um, so that, that, that's race patience. That's like a race head. But uh, you know, the question I heard you ask was about sort of the patience to develop as an athlete. And that's a different kind of patience. And that's one. Oh, uh, you know, yeah, no, actually, I was really asking kind of like, and, and I'm glad to have you answer both. But like, I was really asking that race patience and how as a coach, you know, do you cultivate that in an athlete who's like used to killing it? 
and all of a sudden i gotta like, jump in yeah, here go i gotta jump in i'd be interested to hear what Zach has to say about this but like you know what man i don't think you can as for a young senior i honestly i don't think so because like they're so fired right up man like they're so wound up they're so stoked they're and and like a coach some coach on the world cup going like just be patient out there and like don't take your shots like in those situations when you're like sitting at like 95% of your VO two max and like you're, it's like some guys, some young athletes really just have the ability to make smarter decisions than others at, as young athletes. And Gus showed that today in spades, Alex Harvey, when he was a young senior, like no one had a race head like Alex Harvey as a young senior or Claybo, of course does and Bolshinov doesn't need a race head because he's just so strong. But, but the fact of the matter is, this stuff we're seeing from Gus, that confidence, it takes a lot of confidence to do that. And that's what I keep harping on. And like, I'm so impressed that he had that confidence because I, I've seen, I've seen Chris have that confidence. I saw Chris have that confidence, Chris Freeman in 2003, when I was at under 23s and he won by like a minute and a half by just like ripping the legs off all of us. I finished like in the twenties or whatever, but it was a 30 K classic. It would have been a great, it's a great event for me, but I just got like torched from Freeman. And then he went in to the world championships as a senior and young senior under 23 and finishes fourth in like in Val de Fiem. That's confidence. That's race confidence. But I don't think you can learn that, man. Like, I don't think anything a coach can say the night before that day is going to help a 20 year old. I think it'll help a 27 year old. I think it'll help a 32 year old immensely, but a 20 year old forget it, man. No chance. I don't. I don't even I don't even think you can coach it when they're older. I mean, it's it's a personality thing. It's what, you know, it's what honestly it's what differentiates truly truly great athletes and and Devin, you know, to pick on you, that's why you weren't truly great. You're never patient yeah, enough. You 100%. Never no, had it. 100%. You know, you you had you had the highest energy output of anyone on the World Cup, but it was all going in the wrong places. It was just so yeah, amazing a lot of the to watch because like, there was this heat plume that followed you around before yeah. the race, after the race, during the race, until the race went down. And then it was like, it wasn't there. So No, yeah, for sure. Was, and that's, and that, is, that is a thing. I mean, like, that was the bane of Justin, like my coach, like when I was at my best, like Justin Wadsworth, who's like the bane of his existence. <laughs> and I mean, I, 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 I definitely recognize that. I mean, having the career I had, I mean, like it doesn't, now, honestly, when you have like young kids and stuff, like it doesn't matter, man. Like, so let me tell you a story. Uh, Sochi Olympic 50 K Noah Hoffman was in really good shape. He had, yeah, that, he was, was. that was the same season that he had, you know, had those really fast uh, handicap starts in tour events, both in uh, Ruka and in uh, Toblock. And uh, he was in, he was in great shape and he knew he was in great shape and going into that 50, um, I was there and we had a plan kind of because just trying to trying to get him to focus the energy in the right place. It was just so frustrating, you know, like, come on. No, I'm so analytical. He's so analytical. So analytical. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He's always thinking, but like, I'm not sure what he's thinking. So like before that race, it was like, okay, Noah, let's say it's going well. Let's say the skis are good. Let's we're talking through scenarios, everything else. And I was like, as long as the packs together, you know, Put yourself toward the front because you can't react that much. Noah, like Noah's version of passing is to grind up along some side someone and like grind away at a very slightly faster speed for like 20 seconds. It's a very costly 
way to move through a pack. And so you just don't want him sitting in 30th place with 2K to go because he's not going to find his way to the front. He's going to, you know, he'll, he'll grind. And, doesn't, you know. and he doesn't have exclusivity either. He no, he doesn't. That's, that's exactly either. what I'm saying. He just, he just can't find the holes and take them. Like Sophie can point her ski straight and accelerate. And that's just a skill that some people have. And Noah, Noah has to get in a bigger V and move faster. And it's just not enough room. I mean, you can't do it. So the whole point for that race was like, okay, Noah, you want to be somewhere in the top 15, but like not in the lead. So let's say second to, to ninth is a good place to be. Go back and watch the video. The, the kid was in second place for 40 kilometers because I said exactly. second to ninth. So he's like, well, exactly. second's better than ninth. So he skied in second place the whole time until yeah. what happened? He took out Alex, didn't he, at the finish and like crashed <laughs> Alex out of the race and busted his pole like at the bottom of the long climb. And then, oh, yeah. like, you know, faded to 26 or something. And then like he – he like went off into the woods and sulked for a little while. Yeah, but no, but that's yeah. the race head. That's the race head. But it's funny, Zach, because you, you, you mentioned like a race head and that's the kind of thing like you need to know, you know, to Kenny Rogers, man, you need to know when to hold them and know when to hold them. <laughs> and like in a, in a 50K, in a 50K in Sochi or 50K, a lot of places, Petter has so many wins because he's patient. He knows. He's like, I'll sit back here in 20th. It's fine. No problem. But you need to know where your strengths are and then you need to know when it's time to move up the pack. And that is hard to learn. And, and a lot of people just never learn it. Good skiers, really solid skiers don't learn it. The absolute legend skiers for their countries, they do learn it. And what Gus showed today, it doesn't mean that he's going to be a beast at world championships in the coming. He's still young. He's yeah. still young. And, 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 some, and some raunchy performances are right there. Like <laughs> Gus has struggled in period one. He struggled in the tour. And the World Cup this year, has been easy as hell without the Norwegians there, not just for the places they take up, but like Zach alluded to the way the races get raced. So he's had great opportunities. He hasn't been able to capitalize today. He did capitalize last three days. He's capitalized well, and that's exciting. But if he keeps making decisions like he did today in the 15 K, he will have a great career ahead of him. He's got a great career ahead of him. There's no question. Yeah. And that's how, and that's how, that's how you be able to be, to be like, I hate to use the word legendary. Cause I mean, like there is not that many legendary skiers. Let's be honest. as good as Alex Harvey is. He's, he wasn't, he's not legendary. You know, he, he won one world championship gold. That's awesome. He's finished in the top three in the overall world cup. That's awesome. But legendary. Now we're talking Petter Nortug, Bjorn Dali, soon Klebo. These are legendary. Bolshinov now. These are Dario Colonia. Like it's a short list for legendary. So I, I don't want to use that term, but, he can be one of the one of the greats and definitely one of the all-time greats for North America or or, or at least the US. So well, he's has, a complete yeah. package too. He doesn't have any weaknesses. Exactly. He's a great That's classic skier. He's a yeah, great exactly. skater. He can sprint. Yeah, exactly. He can do the whole yeah. thing. Yeah, so it's fun. It's going to be fun to watch him and it's going to be fun to watch the guys behind him and and uh yeah, I'm glad I'm like Zach alluded to too, man. Like I'm I'm so glad that we were able to I'm so glad we're able to follow the likes of like Gus especially in this tour to ski. And aside from, from seeing Bolshinov's uh, show of strength with his technique and, and uh, that sort of thing, um, that is what's been exciting. I've been, I, have been, I have enjoyed watching Poroma too, the young Swede, um, see what he can do. He's had a couple of solid races here in the Tour too. But other than that, man, like we fast forward to the sprint tomorrow, like don't care. I don't care. I care about the women's, but I don't care who wins the, the men's. Like I, who cares? 
makes no difference. You know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see some Americans get into the semis. Not sure how realistic that is right now, but still it'd be sweet. <laughs> or Gus, let's say it'd be cool there, for Gus to qualify. Yeah. So it'd be sweet. It would be sweet to see something there, but it's a tough, it's a championship classic sprint course. And then, yeah, I, I guess I kind of like exhausted what I have to say about the day. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> well, it's good. Um, yeah, Zach, any thoughts? I, I guess the one thought I have really has more to do with what might've been here had Val de Fiem showed its ugly face instead of this hard, cold, stable track that like, yeah, Clister covered and you're, you're good to go. Um, you know, 2003, when Chris was really good there, it was kind of like this, they were on guru 39 covered and Chris was on a really high, high elastic 902. And, and, you know, a guy who's in great shape, like Chris at that point or Bolshinov now can ski this really, really high ski with, uh, with, you know, a, a pretty, pretty strong clister mix, but, a, you know, can ride really clear of it. And you can see that with Bolshinov speed coming down into the stadium. But more often, Valdefiem is this soupy mm-hmm. mix of like, like ugly sunbaked nastiness. And we're talking like championship time now. That's the nice thing about tour to ski is the sun doesn't really hit too much of it during this time of year. But later in the later in the season, it gets worse. But like even at tour, we've seen just like, and when it warms up a little bit in that venue, it, it the moisture oh, comes it's up. The worst. And it's, it's awful. It's just awful. How polluted it is too. Let's talk about the polluted. Like it's oh, so there's so much horrifying. like there's so much particulate in the snow yeah, too, which yeah. just makes it for a nightmare for you guys. Like it's just so dirty. The skis get so dirty, even though it looks white. It's just like oh, it's a mess. But here's what it is. The funny thing about this course, and this comes down to sort of reading courses and understanding what to do, is like brutal, brutal climbs, rocking fast downhills and not a whole lot of double pole. It looks like a fair amount in the guys race on a fast day like this because it's so fast. But like, if you go back to the 50K that Olsen won, even that flat section through the meadow oh, after the sprint climb, yeah, almost he's, striding. Like, yeah, he's like kick double poling and striding that, you know? So oh, yeah. that course is a course where, you know, it's tempting to go on a really high elastic ski and get the wax clear so you have really good speed. And that like that worked today. That worked for Bird in 2003. Bolshinov could ski that ski in any conditions, and he kind of has to because he's on Rozzy. But, you know, the last time Chris even managed to hang with a pack there in the pursuit in 2013, we put him on the softest skis I could find, and we brought the bindings back, and we put him on these super, super soft, low, low skis. And they hadn't broken. It was still dry wax, but it was like – roadie extra violet with a xf30 cover or something like that 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 oleg came up with it was brilliant so you know you can and this is the way sadie could succeed at a at a venue like this is on a low ski that can allow her just to scooch along like push the foot up the hill drag it shuffle like have that sneaky fast kick but not the high high powerful striding but fast skis when you rock back on your heels and get off of the front of the ski and make really good tuck speed and you can give away some double pole speed there. And you could see that like, you know, there were some skiers that were kind of in that scenario a little bit and had, had the tuck speed and had the, the access to the striding, but you know, you gotta, you gotta lose that somewhere. Valdefiem is a place where as soon as it gets a little difficult, you got to go on a low ski and it's a little like Lillehammer that way. Uh, I got burned by that Hoff's last period one. I went over to help him out. And Devin, I think that was that your last season also. I don't know. But like in that Lillehammer pursuit, 
the days before it was like boilerplate, super hard, really tough tracks. And, and we had been testing and we found this pair of skis for Noah that was again, like high elastic ski, flat finish. And if you just snapped off a kick on a hard track, it felt frictionless and so easy to kick. And yet just a skiff of new snow and a little sugar in the track and you start to lose it. And, and you're done. <laughs> I, I, I sent him on that high ski and I watched you scooch along on the lowest ski you could pull out of your bag. Yeah, I had a great class. Yeah, I had a race. great class. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, so exactly. It is, but these, these are great perspectives. And I think that's what is fun, especially when you're hyper interested in, in the, in, in skiing is like all the, and that, I think that's a good way to close it out. It's like, there's a lot of like these courses have their own personalities and, and you can really see that not so much on the best in the world, like Zach's alluding saying with, with the uh, Bolshinov and stuff, but some of the guys that are like the next besters, uh, there's, there's just a lot of things at play and that's what makes skiing interesting. So we've harped a lot on the men's, but there is always, there is always small storylines to follow. So, but that said, Good stuff. what a day for Gus. Yeah. What a day, day for Gus. What an awesome day for Jesse. Looking forward to that. And that's it for me, man. <laughs> that was fun. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. Well, thanks, Zach, for joining us. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> Appreciate we, we, it. I anytime. Shit, Text us. <laughs> I can come up with a lot. <laughs> okay. Take yeah, care. cheers. Thank okay, thanks for listening as we head into the last two stages of the Tour Escape. Escape.